I want you to think for a minute about your, your experience as a Christian. Let's talk about that. How is that? I wonder, is your experience as a Christian feel like, isn't it supposed to be a little more than this? Am I missing something? Do, do adversities and difficulties lead us to doubt God's power, God's maybe interest even in our circumstances? Or maybe is God really as good as we say that he is if he allows these kind of things to happen? Are, are, are you uncertain on how you can know if some podcast you're listening to, is this a, is this a teacher worth listening to or is this just spiritual fluff? Biblical cotton candy. Are you able to share God's truth with someone else, not just blurted out, but in a, in a loving way that's sensitive to them in the particular moment and circumstance that they're in? Can we identify? Do we see? Can we, can we take note of it? Does it encourage us that we see an increasing likeness to Christ in ourselves and in one another? Do we come to church on Sunday with kind of the mindset of consumers of spiritual goods and services? I come to get something of a particular style and flavor that I'm looking for. And if it wasn't there, I would shop somewhere else. Or maybe I will. Or do we come together as a, as a family caring for one another and on mission together? See, our, our, our experiences as a Christian and as Christians together, our experiences in church may not always be what God intends them to be. Imagine a church. Imagine a church where the members, the people around you, you find yourself caught up in the same, making sacrificial choices at times, because that's God's will and that's what's good for others. Imagine a church where there is just a settled trust and hope and confidence in God even in the midst of circumstances. Imagine a, a church where we know the core principles of God's Word. In fact, we, we use that to evaluate the things that we hear, whether they're from the culture or even from the pulpit. Imagine a church where the things that we do, the activities we're, we're involved in, the ministry thrust are not whatever the current fads are, but inten intentional godly responses to what we understand real needs to be. Imagine a church where a friend in your small group is able to listen to your story from the week and hearing your story, hearing what happened, is able to wisely Apply God's truth to encourage you and possibly even to correct or challenge your thinking. A church where you're, you are seeing an increasing likeness of the mind of Jesus lived out in the lives of people around you and it encourages you and you see a difference from some time ago in your own life also. Imagine a church family where we expect, we come together expecting to encourage somebody, to instruct out of something that God has shown us, to challenge, maybe correct one another, to help one another walk with our God and Savior together.
That we come to gather together on church gathered, not merely for what we're going to get from it, but because God has given me something to give. There's somebody else that I'm going to be able to encourage and love on in that gathering that morning. That's actually the church that God describes for us in Ephesians chapter 4. But if that's what church is supposed to be, how do we get there? God help us, right? Well, actually, God has helped us. That's the point of Ephesians chapter 4. God has helped us. He gives us gifts for the church as a body together to be all that he intends it to be. God has helped us. So then, let's build together. Let's be equipping the church as the body for that which God has called us, privileged us to be for him. Our passage this morning in God's Word, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. This passage is what we want here at BP Church. We want this to define our philosophy of ministry. This is where God tells Pastor Bob what it is that I'm supposed to do. What it is that we're pressing forward toward together as a church. And what are the things longer term, what are those long range indicators that we should be looking for? To know that God's blessing is being realized in this family together. Here we find some of the core aspects of God's purposes, the Lord's purposes for his church as a local body. Let's read those those verses. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also, rather, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he, may, he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip. He gave these to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a a mature humanity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, with the result that we are no longer as children tossed to and fro by the waves of circumstances, carried about by every wind of doctrine or teaching, by human cunning or by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, instead, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by what every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, when each part is doing its part, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God has helped us. God has given the body gifts for serving together, as he says in chapter 7, but to each of us a grace gift is given according to the measure given by Christ. Jesus, our Lord, has given spiritual giftings. Think of it as divine enabling. 
and enablement. God has given divine, God-given abilities for you and I to serve together as the body of Christ in this work of redemption and reconciliation that God has called us into together. Each one is gifted, but not the same way. These giftings are going to be described in verse 11. In some translations, actually better translate that he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelism, some pastor and teachers, that he didn't give everybody the same gifting. In fact, in, 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 in Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are two other longer lists of spiritual gifts. And those lists are not identical. There's some overlap between them. There's differences between them. And I'd even suggest that all three of those lists together do not form the full catalog of the ways that God gifts and enables his church, the members of the body of Christ, for ministry. But they fill it out. They give us a good understanding of of the unity and diversity that God gives in enabling his church for ministry. In fact, the identifying, the being able to catalog, well, my spiritual gift is X, Y, or Z, is not really the main point. The main point, well, let's look at uh, just... Let me read a couple of phrases out of Romans in that list. Well, just before he gets into the list itself. Give us some principles about these differing gifts. In Romans 12, in verse 3, each is given according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That God doesn't even gift us in the same measure, one person to another. I remember how I longed to have a teaching gift, the ability to be clear and relevant and just cut into the heart the way that some of those guys that you listen to on YouTube and in podcasts, right? Oh, why can't I have that? God hasn't given me that. That's okay. That that he gifts us even to a different measure. And the members do not all have the same function. We rather have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us. And the point is, but as we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. The point is not in, I'm able to catalog the kind of giftings God has given me. The point is, that can be helpful in knowing how to serve, certainly, or where to serve. What is my role within the body? But the point is, as God has shaped you and formed you and enabled you and given you sensitivities that you, you see needs and, and the ability to respond into those needs and fruits born out of when you yield and when you, when you serve, let's do it. As it says in Romans 12, let us use them for the building of the body. This giving of gifts flows out of Jesus' victory in his death for us. His victory over sin and death for us in verse 8 of Romans 4 again. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. This is a victory parade. and In this victory parade, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this seems like a quotation from Psalm 68. In fact, if you're looking in your Bible there at the text of the Bible, and you're looking at me, you could be looking in your Bible. That's okay. And, and, and there's this really fine print there. It's, it's, a, it's a, a marginal reference. Maybe there's a little letter, and next to that it points you over to a verse that says Psalm 68, 18. It seems like Paul's quoting Psalm 68, 18, but if he is, he's quoting it wrong. That's scandalous. The apostle gets it wrong? What was, what was wrong with his Bible? 
Well, no. He's actually summarizing, he's catching up all of Psalm 68, and he's using the language of verse 18 to capture a lot of the main thrust of it. And but, but the part that he shifts in Psalm 68, verse 18, it actually says that he, he led captivity captive and he received gifts of tribute from among men. The conquering king receives tribute from those whom he's conquered. Well, Paul doesn't express it that way because he's using the, the psalm as a whole to make a different point. And, and some have suggested even that that truth out of Psalm 68 was actually formed into a church, or rather a song, a hymn that the early church sang. And Paul's actually quoting lines from the hymn. That could be the case. But regardless, Paul is making the point that when our victorious king, when he conquers sin and death and the enemies, the spiritual powers arrayed against us, he does that to give gifts to his people. And, and it, it's like when God delivers Israel, and this is one of the references in Psalm 68, so I'm not just making this up. This is not, this is not one of Bob's personal heresies. This, is, this goes back to the psalm, that, that when, when God delivers his people out of Egypt, when they go, they receive tribute. The Egyptians gave them gold and silver as they went. And what did they do with those gifts that they were given because of God's victory? They used them for themselves to dangle off their own ears, to, to make nice necklaces for themselves. No, they, they brought those gifts and they offered them all together to be used for the building of God's temple in the wilderness called the tabernacle. And so today, God also in his church, he has given us gifts of divine abilities by the power of his spirit that we would be together offering those gifts in his service for the building up of the temple, which is the body of Christ. Let me go back to the end of chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's a connection being made here, and more of the, of the lines of that song might have, might have laid it out more, more specifically, but God has gifted his church. In the victory of Christ, God has then dispensed gifts to the church for the building up of the body of Christ as a temple, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So we also would devote our gifts, not for our own use, but for how God would use us in building up this temple. Now in verse 9 and 10, Paul does a little bit of explanation about what he's just quoted in verse 8. So now, when I moved into 9 and 10, I'm, I'm looking for an answer. Why did he seem to misquote verse 8, right? What's going on with that? But he goes in a different direction, and it's a fun direction. Watch this. In verse 9, saying he ascended, what does that mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, that is the earth. The he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And one day, as Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But now, before he, before he ascends, before he is exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords, first, what does he do? First, Jesus descended from glory in humility in his humanity. Speaking of the incarnation, 
That before he is glorified, first he he descended in humility. And there's something in there that we're supposed to take away from that. That one of the emphasis here that the exalted Lord first descends in humility is that we then would use our God-given gifting in following him, we would use it in humility towards one another. That our gifting, our divine abilities that God has given us to serve together, they are not given to draw attention to ourselves. They're not given for us to be appreciated by others. One of the things that happens in serving together is you're overlooked. Have you felt that? Have you had that along the way? That's happened. Sure, that's happened. And, and, well, I, I, I served for a while, but nobody seemed to appreciate what I was doing. But the Scripture tells us that God is not unfaithful, that He would forget your work of labor of love, that you have ministered to His saints and that you keep doing it. He's the one who's watching. He's the one who knows. And even where we fail to encourage one another, your Father knows. And he will make it worth it all when we see Jesus. So we, we serve then in, in humility, but we also, we also serve even in the midst of our own weakness. That it was in his descent, in his incarnation, that Jesus completes God's greatest victory in the weakness of his humanity. And where does God continue then to extend? and extend that victory today. We would prefer that our Lord now, exalted to the heavens at the right hand of God, would take that rod by which he will rule and he would just decree and make it happen and all the things that God intends to be, to be on planet earth would be because Jesus says so. And his power rules. We'd like it to be that way. But it is not yet. It is not yet instead. Instead, just, just as God wins his greatest victory through the weakness of Jesus' humility and his humanity, so also God continues to make his power known through the likes of you and I together. In the midst of all that we could never pull off, God says, yep, that's where I'm going to work. These are the ones I'm going to do it with. In fact, where you are not able, that's where his glory shines as he enables you with a divine working that you did not have in yourself. Paul himself, Paul's even held back at times. I don't know if there's a council in heaven the Lord looks down and says, you know, Paul's really going. He, he, he is a firecracker, that guy. We're going to slow him down. We're going to give him a, a thorn in his flesh. We're going to allow Satan to have a little, a little hindrance upon him because God's power is made perfect in weakness. You say, well, I can't, this or that. I don't know if I, well, exactly, that's it. I don't really think you can either. I don't think I can either. But, oh, God, what would you do through us if we would just yield ourselves to you and say, Lord, here am I. Here am I, Lord. Use me. 
And so then, in that descent of his humility, he gives gifts to men. He gave some to be apostles, some as prophets, some evangelists, some, some pastors and teachers. Paul's focus here first seems to be on certain kinds of gifts. And this is not to elevate those gifts over other giftings in the body, but I think it does make the point. There's, something, there's a couple things going on with these giftings. First of all, there's the, there's the proclamation of the gospel giftings, and then there's the instructing and building up of the church giftings. Uh, so so, so, so the, the, the apostle gift, an apostle is a sent one with a message, much like the evangelist. So you have apostles and prophets as foundational gifts in the first generation of the church. And then the, the apostle work continues with the evangelist. And the prophetic gift of speaking God's mind to the moment at hand, that continues with the teaching of God's revealed word through pastors and teachers in the future generations of the church. And so you have these two giftings, whether it's, whether it's um, going to others and bringing others into the family, the apostles and evangelists, and then you have the, the building up the body together by the, by the prophetic ministry of pastors and teachers. But those are all word-centered gifts. And you say, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm really not an evangelist. I, I try to share the gospel with people around me, but I'm really not. I'm, I certainly I wouldn't, in my experience, say that I'm gifted at that. So, but why these gifts first? Why, if, if the other lists that Paul himself writes in his letters include so many more gifts, like helps and administration and mercy and faith, why are those not included here? I think it's because, I think it's because the exercise of all of the giftings within the body of Christ and for the work that God has given us as the body of Christ within the world, all of those giftings, all of those divine enablements are supposed to be guided and influenced and directed by the revelation of God's Word. It all starts with the gospel. And from there, all of our serving together is going to be done not merely in the strength of individual gifts alone, but in the use of those gifts guided by the mind and purposes of God. If you have the gift of mercy, you want to extend mercy towards others. You can do that in ways that are, are gentle and lowly and tender and giving rest and encouraging. You could also do that in ways that actually enabled people to continue in self-destructive patterns of life. And you want to use that giftedness in a way that, that applies God's wisdom into the exercise of your gift. And so it begins with the equipping of the church that is divinely and diversely enabled by God for ministry, the equipping of that church in the mind and purposes of God as is revealed in his word. And then as, as you understand God's mind and purpose, you run in your giftedness, carrying out his fruitful ministry that he's given you uniquely and individually. I should add here as well that there is a difference in gifting and office. This is just kind of an aside. He mentions here initially in this list that there's a gifting that seems to go with an office. Prophet, evangelist, or, or apostle was both an office and a gifting. As pastor, teacher, that's a gifting in the church, but it's also an office in the church. Now, 
Think of it as the, the, a person holding an office in the church, a particular role, recognized title. Think of that as a subset of all of those that share in that particular gifting. What I'm saying is all those who have the gift of shepherding others spiritually and of teaching God's truth to others, not all of those will be in the role or office or have the title of pastor. It doesn't mean they don't have a pastoral shepherding gift, though. Just like there are many people who serve in the body of Christ, but they don't necessarily have the official title of deacon. In fact... If only those who had the official title of deacon or deaconess were the ones who were actively serving in the church, that'd be a tired handful of people, wouldn't it? But that's, but that's not God's purpose. He, he calls all, all of us to serve in all kinds of ways, but we're not all deacons. He calls all of us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that it was within us. He, he, he calls us to do the work of an evangelist, whether or not we have the gift of evangelism, whether or not we're on staff in the, in the Louis Palau organization as a staff evangelist, we're still supposed to be ready to share the hope that was, is in us and the gospel of Jesus with people around us. So don't don't confuse, don't say, well, I'm not, I'm not a pastor, and so the spiritual care and maturity of somebody else is not my responsibility. We are to care for our brothers and sisters and, and in the ways that God has gifted us. So these particular speaking gifts are focusing on the Word of God. God uses these to direct and instruct and use in serving all of the giftings in the body according to the mind of God. And all of this is for a purpose. All of this is, is going in the direction for us to be building together. So let's get into it. Let's build together. Look at verse 12. The purpose of this. He gives these word-focused gifts for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for building the body of Christ, so that we attain to a unity of faith and a knowledge of the Son of God so that we, uh, we achieve a, a mature humanity, a likeness to Jesus. Have you wondered what God is up to? Have you wondered what God's goals are and how you fit into them? Here it is. Look no further. It's right here in this, in this verse. God does love you. Bill Bright was right. God does love you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He has the immediate plan, the longer term, and the ultimate, and it's all right here. The immediate plan is that you would be equipped in God's word so that you're able to exercise your gift according to the mind of God. You're able to get going in the body for the building up of God's church. The longer term goal of you being equipped so that you are serving fruitfully, the longer term goal of that is that we will be building up the body as a whole. We will be reaching that unity of faith. The ultimate goal is that mature humanity, that likeness to Christ. Now, who's there? Who has reached that full maturity in Christ? Who has reached in your humanity that likeness to Christ so that when people see you, they see Jesus? Show hands. Oh boy, I didn't see many hands. We have got a lot of work to do, don't we? The work is still going on. We're still here, and the work is still in the midst of us. And so we'll get going into it. And this word equip, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, I love this because it lets me off the hook. 
I love this. It tells me the work of ministry is not merely for the minister. The work of the ministry is not merely for the pastor. The work of the ministry is for the saints. And my job is to, what do you need from me? You come to my office sometime. You say, Bob, I love you, and I have a wonderful plan that you should be doing in the church. You're going to probably couch it like, you know, what the church really needs to do is, and my response is going to be something like, that could be a good idea. If God is leading in this, what do you need from the church in order to take the next step? Because if I take that from you and run with it, not only am I taking on stuff that I am not necessarily the one God intends to do it, but I'm cheating you out of it. You're, bringing, you're, you're coming with a gift in your hands that God has set there. How dare I or others take it away from you? Rather, what do you need from us together as a body that you can run into the gifting that God has given you? and use it fruitfully for the benefit and growth of others, devoting those spoils that God has given for the building of his temple in the midst of this wilderness. Equip means to restore, to return the saints to God's original purpose of humanity, to represent God in his image and to be his agents to the rest of creation. That's what God made us for. To be in relation with, relationship with him and to represent him in the care of his creation. I think including one another. And that's what he's restoring us to within the church, to that original calling. Equipping is also restoring. Equipping the saints as a whole for ministry, not just some of us. We heard an example of that in Kathy's testimony. Let me, let me share another one. There's, there's a family that invited me. Hey, we're in this homeschool co-op, and you, you said you'd love to help in some way. There's a way that you could help in, uh, in, 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 in homeschool families and doing things like that. There's something you, you could teach. And so they said, we love you, and we have a wonderful plan for your life. I said, okay. Could you, could you teach in our Friday school, in, the, in our homeschool co-op? I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. We had eight sessions together. And so we, we um, taught from the Gospels and Acts, and these eights that kind of walked through the story of the, of the beginning of the gospel together. And here we are with the high school students in this class in Friday school, and I thought it was great. Really, it was probably just good. It's probably okay. But what made it great was the same folks that asked me, hey, could you do this? They then came up with a way that they would engage the kids in a review game where these kids would then compete with one another and they were studying ahead and they were reading and they were getting ready so that they could come back and in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the class which sometimes spread into 20 or 25 minutes but it was that was great because it was good and these kids were getting the key things that we wanted them to get out of this time together in in these books because of the game that these homeschool parents had come up with to reinforce the key parts not only that, then at the end of the term, Friday school, okay, Friday school is over. Whew. At the end of the term of Friday school, they had to get together on Friday night, and I got a text of a couple of pictures on my phone, and, and they, they showed these pictures of a couple of the guys in the class had made a Jeopardy game and a Wheel of Fortune type game where they would then share with and ask questions of the other kids that are part of Friday school who would come by their booth at this Friday school fair, 
And now these students from the class, because they got engaged in the game and were learning God's truth, they were now come up with a different game of their own that they could pass it on to others. Equipping for equipping for strengthening others within the church body. It's a beautiful example of what it is that God would do. And it's in this serving. It's in this building up another. That's where we're growing in his purposes for us. In, in giving ourselves away for others, that's where Jesus is always growing his likeness in us as well. You know, it's just like in a church building project, and we're in one of those. And a, a church building project causes us to sacrifice together to participate together in something that is bigger than any one of us and yet will continue to be a blessing to others beyond us. So also, in serving together in a church body for the good of others, our shared sacrifice together for the purposes of, of, of God's blessing to others brings us closer together and closer to Him. And God works through us as we're giving ourselves together, God works in this temple-building project. God works through us to do more, to reach farther than any of us would imagine that we might do on our own. The results of that serving together look like what's described from verse 14. No longer tossed this way and that way by the waves, the storms of life, the troubles that come. Not carried away by every wind of teaching or the deceptions that come our way. But speaking truth in love, we are growing up in every way into Jesus who is the head. And the whole body joined and held together by that which every joint or every connection contributes. We are being strengthened in our faith in God. We trust Him more in the midst of life's storms because we are knowing and trusting God's purposes. We know His character. Because we know God, we trust Him in the midst of, of the various things that happen. I may not understand why is that happening, but I know who God is. And a maturing faith, we will be, as Paul describes, troubled, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. We may even be carrying around in our bodies the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be expressed through us. In an age where the notion of truth seems naive, out of touch, we'll know what it is to lean on God's truth. We'll not be carried away by the groupthink of the day. Knowing God's grace, knowing God's truth, we're able to speak that into the lives of one another and to others. We'll speak his truth and love in grace to those who are weary and heavy laden. We will be ones who don't put pharisaical burdens on the backs of others, but rather we will help them find rest in Jesus. And all of this is not my job. It's our job. This is our mission that God has given us together as a family. Our God-given privilege and purpose and only gets done as God intends it to by that which every connection contrib contributes. When each part does its part. The word the ESV translates joints is also translated sinew. Think connective tissues. 
Think of the soft connective tissues that are part of a joint, but not necessarily the bone-to-bone connections. If you just had that, it would be very painful. Some of you have experienced that. But there's these other connecting tissues that are holding all of this together. And so this growth happens by that which every connection contributes. I couldn't help but think about our church-connected emphasis. Because I'm convinced that spiritual growth happens in the body of Christ in those life-on-life connection relationships. Where you're in the midst of a smaller group, a D group, a small group, where you know others, others know you. You're able to tell what's been going on in this week. And they care. These are the people that will pray for you. These are the people that will, will challenge you at times. Will encourage you to keep going. And next week they'll check in and see... How did it go? Because they know you. In in those life-on-life connections, we grow spiritually. And in those connections, what you do matters. Because you are connected, or can be, to people that others are not connected to, what you do is going to make a difference that may not get done otherwise. What you do matters. What we don't do, then, individually, also can matter. God fully intends to. God is pleased to use each one of us. And the body will be as it should when every part is doing its part. Think of it again like that building project. Back when we were in the book of Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 3. In Nehemiah chapter 3, Nehemiah has rallied all the people and they're all in building the wall. Some of you were, some of them were people you would say, should they really be building the wall? Really? Do we really want the perfumers and the priests doing the heavy construction? Shouldn't we leave that to the experts, the stonemasons? There's too much in our culture today that is left to experts in all kinds of areas. I remember watching a show just recently that, that um, where a person is debriefing what they're thinking with their therapist. And it's nothing comp- complicated. It's relational thing and helping her to see what it is that she's actually saying. And my thought was, you know, in this show, I've never seen her with a girlfriend. I've never seen her having a friend that she could be having this kind of a conversation with. That's what was missing. She thought to have that kind of a, of a conversation or the role, the character, needs to have a therapist to debrief it with. That's a shame, really, because we have that for one another. And the connections that we have with others, that, that, that expertise or not. Remember that the, there was a picture in the building of that wall in Nehemiah. There's a picture of part of the wall that's been excavated. When you look at that wall today, and it's a rough-looking wall. There's big blocks and little blocks, and there's little, little broken pieces that are stuffed into some of the holes and some mortar slapped around that. And they made that wall up out of whatever they had. And this was obviously not a professional job, and it probably wouldn't last. 2,500 years later, it's still there. How do, you, how do you explain that? Sometimes things that are worth doing are worth doing poorly. <laughs> things that are worth doing are worth doing in the manner that God has gifted and enabled and called you to do, not some expert whom you think could do it better, but may not reach in the doing the person God has on your heart and intends for you to go to. I remember saying when we were in the book of Nehemiah that, that my aim in our church building project was not that all of us would give in the same ways because we cannot, but 
My aim was that all of us would have a participation. My aim was in the years ahead when we would look at what God was doing in the building of lives in the spaces that we had built, that that you would look and you would say, I'm so glad that we did that. And I'm so glad that God gave me a part in it. And I'm so glad that even when I was reluctant or I was afraid that the Spirit led me and I yielded and I participated in some way. And that same mindset I have, you know, I, 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 I can assure you that I do not know what anybody is giving to the building fund or any other giving in the church. I don't ever see those numbers. I haven't in 17 years. But I did ask fairly recently, can you tell me roughly a percentage of how many of our members and regular attending folks that are supporters of the church ministry, how many of those have given to this building project that God has set before all of us? And we are, we are over two-thirds toward our goal, and over two-thirds of the people in the body as a whole have participated, or the giving units, the families, etc., have given toward that goal. So that is all tracking together, that we are catching that idea that God has given this to us together. And I want that same mindset to be true in terms of the building of the temple. In terms of the building up of the body of Christ, I want that reality and that realization that God has given this to each of us. And we do not all have the same roles. We do not participate in the same ways, but all of us are in because all of us are members of the body of Christ through faith in Jesus. If you have believed in Jesus, you are a member of his body. If you have believed in Jesus and are indwelled by his spirit, you have been divinely enabled for a particular way or ways of serving in the body of Christ. And I want all of us in. I want all of us in. I want all of us going together. And there's will where we'll see the building up of the body of Christ as, it, as our God has intended it to be so that he will be glorified in our midst. God intends to use the gospel and knowing him through his word to prepare and equip, restore you in how you serve him in ways that he has uniquely formed and enabled you to serve. His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in the midst of our weakness. God intends for you and I to be the incarnation of His grace and ministry to others. So as God Himself helps us, let's build together. See, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I fit in all that. I'm not sure of the ways in which He's enabled me. Talk to somebody. Let's have that conversation, and and I don't mean with your therapist. Talk to one of the pastors, talk to an elder, talk to a small group leader, talk to a a friend whom you trust for spiritual advice and counsel. How has God enabled me? How do you think God might use me within his body? And then take a step forward. Take a step in, serving together with others, and see what God does with it. See if that's where you find fulfillment as well as fruitfulness. We're going to pray a song next. A song, take my life and let it be. Lord, take my life.
take these feet and make them swift and beautiful for you in the going of the gospel. Lord, use my lips as words of encouragement and exhortation for one another in the body of Christ. Lord, here am I. Take me. Use me. That is our offering to him in the gifts that he has given for the glory of Jesus in his church. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would, as you have gifted us, Lord, that you would lead us in serving you. That you would provoke us, Father, where we would tend to hold back, where we might be afraid, we might be hesitant, we might be unsure. Father, that you would confirm, that you would encourage Lord, you would give us a little nudge. You say that you are at work in us both to will and to work for your good pleasure. So, Father, we would ask together, would you jiggle our willers a little bit? Would you press us a little into your will that we would have the joy of seeing you work and to use us in the midst of it? Father, we are but your children. We don't bring a whole lot of skills to the kind of work that you are doing. But Lord, we are delighted that you would be pleased to use us and that you invite us in. You, in fact, command us to join in. So Lord, make us willing for that. (coughs) And Lord, would you use us for your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all who agree said...